As the sun rises over London on a crisp, chilly morning, two horsemen ride to a chosen spot in a clearing between some trees. They dismount and tie their horses up and wait. Both men are dressed in dark woolen coats against the cold with top hats and long leather riding boots. They wait in the early morning silence. There is a fresh smell of lavender on the air. To any passers-by, neither man would draw much attention, and yet one of them is a knight of the realm and the other is the Prime Minister. After a few minutes, a carriage comes into view, being pulled by four horses. Out of the carriage step two men, both dressed in long blue cloaks. They are both younger than the knight and the PM, and wear more expensive attire. Incidentally, both men hold the rank of Earl. The Earls stride confidently into the clearing and are met by the PM and the knight. There is little conversation to be had. They all know what has brought them to this spot in Battersea Fields. A moment later, the PM draws a loaded pistol and one of the Earls does the same. They stand back to back and begin the 20 pace walk. The PM reaches the end of the walk first and without hesitation wheels on the spot and fires his pistol at his opponent. A plume of smoke obscures his view for a moment, but the sound of another bullet crashes through the early morning. More smoke. In that moment, the country may have lost its Prime Minister and one of its most powerful lords in the blink of an eye. But that was not to be. Both men are still standing, and they are both feeling relief wash over them as they realise that the ordeal is over. They nod to one another before the Earls return to their carriage and the PM mounts his horse, leaving the market gardens of Battersea in peace once more. As he rides off, the smell of the gunpowder gives him a flashback of a wet battlefield near the small Belgian village called Waterloo. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Cloak and Dagger podcast, the show where we discuss intriguing tales of history from all across the world. As usual, you're listening to your host, Will Davis Coleman, and as ever, I'm joined by my co-host, Patrick Courtney. Hey, Will, how are you doing? All good, all good. Looking forward to another great tale to tell you. I'm really excited. That walkthrough is weird as hell. I mean, it's just like dumb politicians, isn't it? Like, I'm really like... It made me a little annoyed, and I'm gonna—I I don't want to jump into too soon, but like I can feel they're Tory or something. They're just being idiots, possibly <laughs> getting yourself shot while you're the prime minister. Like that's really annoying. There is a lot of politics in this one, and uh, so I'm really looking forward to really getting into it. As ever, guys, you can follow us on Instagram at Cloak and Dagger Podcast, where you know the drill. We post three times every time we have a podcast episode out. Um, and yeah, it's just great to sort of interact with you guys. We've had some fantastic messages over the last. Two years that we've been going? I can't believe Christ, it. is it two years now? It might be three. God, I it can't like, It was like COVID, so I don't actually remember when that was, because it was <laughs> in the mists of a, of a dark time. It never happened. Yeah. <laughs> we do not talk about that. Oh, wait, are we, are we COVID deniers now? <laughs> is that what this podcast is? Well, that took a real turn. Yeah. Um, but yeah, guys, um, tell a friend, tell your dog, whoever you want who you want to share this knowledge with. Just get it, get it out there, guys. Just talk to the people. We deeply appreciate our dog listeners, because they are they send some of the like the nicest comments. Don't they? Yeah, it's That's really, so really nice. nice. Yeah, all those poor emojis. Anyway, <laughs> without further ado. <laughs> Just in case you hadn't realised, dear listener, uh, the Duke in question, the PM, is the Duke of Wellington. That's probably the most famous Duke there is. Up there, yeah, probably, yeah. Duke, Up there with the Duke of Hastings from... Duke of Hastings. Bridgerton. Yeah, that's a good point. The Duke. He's the Duke. The, he's the Duke capital yeah, yeah. T. Yeah. Is there another Duke? Uh, like an actual Duke that we should know? Duke of York. The grand old Duke of York, that one. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's that's pretty famous. I would say Duke of Wellington is probably more famous. I do feel, though, that people know the rhyme, but have no idea about the actual Duke of York and why he was marching his men up and down a hill. He is... He's the War of the Roses one, right? Nope. He's not the War of the Roses one. No, no. That is a Duke of York, though, isn't it? The, uh, yeah, yeah, there's a Duke ah. of York in there. But no, um, the Duke of York who marches men up and down, not that this has anything to do with today's <laughs> episode, um, is um, was happening actually not long before this episode in 1829. It was the Duke of York who I think actually became, I think it was 
I can't remember which one it was, but it's one of the sons of George the Third. Oh, right. If not George the Third's brother, it's one of those two. It's in that time period. It's the end of the 18th century. Did George the Third have a brother? Pass. <laughs> I'm basing this. Yes, on... no. Of course he did. Of course he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I was basing this also on the Britishan. Well, because it's got the George Third in it. Yeah, no, 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 no. Maybe we shouldn't highlight how much we, we, we know about Bridgerton. <laughs> I love Bridgerton. It's historical. Shondaland. It's, it's research. Amazing. Yeah. It's bad research because it's most. It's it's kind of ish, 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 ish. You know what? It really made me feel suddenly a bit more bad for George the Third. Like he was just someone who needed help. Like you kind of everyone hates him because oh, America hates him and he was mad. But then you realise. He's just got a mental illness. And he, that's, had he, should, he shouldn't have been king. Like, just leave him alone. Let him live a happy life. Like, yeah. And he lived for a very long time. One of our longest reigning monarchs. Really? Mm, really long time. Something like forty years. Oh. And then followed by the longest. Oh, the second no, longest. No, 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 no. So naughty, naughty. No. So it goes George the Third. Then his son, the Regent. That's where you get the Regency from. Was George the Fourth. Oh, he was king. Oh, he was king. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then George IV becomes king in in his own right. Yeah. And then he doesn't have any children. So then his brother mm. William IV comes to the throne. God, I'm missing all these kings out of my history. Yeah. And then he doesn't have any children. So then his brother was called the Duke of Kent. He wasn't called the Duke of Kent. He was the Duke of Kent. And the Duke of Kent's daughter was a little woman, little woman. She actually was quite short. Yeah, very short. Yeah. Um, called Alexandrina. And she took the name when she came to the throne, Queen Victoria the First. Mm. So actually, Queen Victoria's grandfather was George the Third. Right, and then there her, were two kings between them. There were her oh, uncles, two of her uncles. I should know that more of this given I have a podcast that's about history. Well, no, this is the that's what I love about this stuff is that we're always chatting and learning and stuff. But yeah, it's cool. Anyway, back to the story. So just in case you hadn't realised, this is about the Duke of Wellington. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, the Duke of Wellington is most famous for leading Britain's armies against the Napoleon's forces, Emperor Napoleon's forces of France. Mm -hmm. So what So what year are we talking about here? Okay, so uh, the duel in question happened in 1829 on the 21st of March. Okay, 1829. So for... Casual, casual listeners or long-term listeners of this podcast, that puts them around about, we now have a whole thing where we can see where it's from. Um, so the Shaka Zulu assassination, if you listen to that one, that was in 1828. So this is a year after that. Um, and then we've also got the Osceola kind of whole epic was 1816 to 1858. So, you know, you've got like Native Americans in America, you've got these African warlords in Africa, so it's a very, it's a big time in history, really. It's actually, it's interesting. Both of those ones that you're talking about are at the very emergence of the colonial period because mm. Osceola is trying to defend his homeland. Yes. And Shaka Zulu, the Zulus hadn't come into contact yet with the Europeans. Yeah, he hadn't, re well, they had, but they hadn't, they hadn't started fighting the British yet. Exactly. I mean, it's also only like 13 years later that you then got the British massacre of Kabul. Yeah. So it's really close. There's a lot. So yeah, Britain is, you know, getting pretty big for its boots at this point. Well, this is the thing. Post the Battle of Waterloo, suddenly you have, a, well, I say suddenly, that historians talk about the next hundred years of history in Europe and also the world mm -hmm. as Pax Britannica, which I've yeah. definitely mentioned before. And that is literally the piece according to Britain. So it's where the British Empire hmm. goes boom. They went, that was a cool name that the Romans had. We'll have our own one. Yeah, exactly. Pax Romana being the original. Which is also not that peaceful because it's basically one nation destroying many other nations and going, there, you're peaceful now because yeah. we own you. It's the Roman peace, so it's dictated by Rome. Yeah. 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 Anyway, um, so let's give you a bit, of, a bit of context. I mean, lots of people wouldn't even know that the Duke of Wellington became PM. So that's something. That I did know that, know. yeah. Oh, there you go. But yeah. I didn't know it that well until I got into this. Yeah, it is. It's still, yeah, it's still. When, when does it? When does it go from first Lord of the Treasury to PM? That's a while back, isn't it? Way back. Yeah, it was way back. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, we've had yeah. lots of ones since. Then. I thought, yeah, I thought it was. It's more recent than I thought it was. I thought it was like Elizabethan time that happens, but it's after that. No, I think it's. Uh, oh, now you're talking. Uh, it's Walpole. Robert Walpole was the first PM, I think, but I can't remember when that was. Yeah, I think it was in the beginning of the 1700s. So a couple, yeah, so a couple, 100, about 100 ish years. 100 years okay, later. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. Anyway, so the Duke was a man called Arthur Wellesley, mm -hmm. and he was born in Dublin. 
Oh, lovely. Yeah, into a Protestant Anglo-Irish family. Ah, so a very British Dublin family. Absolutely, yeah, 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 100%. His father was the first Earl of Mornington, but they weren't sort of top, top nobles in the hierarchy. They were fairly low down in the stratus. Within Dublin or within the larger context of the British Isles? Both. Okay, so there were there were higher up nobles within Dublin, like oh, above yeah. them. Oh, yeah. Also, yeah, yeah. And, and then in the grand schemes, the fact that they're in Dublin, you know, Dublin's great, but in the British Empire, Dublin's not so great. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Having said that, the family owned a townhouse in the centre of Dublin. Lovely. Um, and a country estate called Dangan Castle, which was really a country house. But they called it a castle. Yes, of course they did. Because <laughs> does was... that happen a lot? Like a bunch of these like dukes and nobles from like the 18th century. Or the 19th century, like, just going, yeah, we'll just call it a castle, because I'm a duke, I should own a castle. Well, this is the thing, even, you know, um, in Bordeaux, lots of the chateaus where you get uh, <laughs> wine, is just literally a wine farm. Wow. There's no castle, yeah, no battlements, yeah. it's called a chateau, because it sounds better mm, mm. than great farm, mate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway. <Great farm. laughs> I mean, they probably wouldn't have that accent if it was in Bordeaux, but yeah. Well, no, because the Irish... Well, he, anyway, we're not going down that route. There's a whole other podcast I could do on that. So I keep interrupting you with distractions. It's absolutely fine. I don't mind. Um, so uh, Arthur was the third son of the first Earl of Mornington. Oh, okay. So he was not the heir and he was also not the spare, mm. which is what mattered in those days. Yes. So... There was a tradition that the third person, the third son, would have two options: one, he takes holy orders, mm-hmm. and two, he joins the army. Ah, that's really good to know because I am a third son, so I'd need to really start figuring out which way I'm going at this point, don't I? <laughs> I feel like podcasting is a third way. I, is that okay? That's the new third option in <laughs> 21st century. It's military service, holy vows, or have a podcast. So you're doing well. Wow. Is that what all podcasters are? Their third set? I mean, I guess you're not. So I'm the Just first born. Immediately, <laughs> immediately goes out the window. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so, so uh, having said all of that, he was sent off to get a proper education. Mm-hmm. I say proper in air quotes. Um, to Eton. Oh. As, as, as one did. As one did. <laughs> back then um and then from there so he he then went on to finishing school which was basically like college back in the day right um and his finishing school was a riding school in france Ooh, oh god, such a tough god <laughs> goes to eton and then finishing school which is a ri- so when you say a riding school did he learn anything other than riding? Well. Also did <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> you you really fell into that yeah, one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what were you going to say? Well, like, does he not already know how to ride? It's not just riding. Oh, I see. The right. riding school is also where you learn to fence and where you learn to ride in battle. So as a oh. cavalry officer, not just as a, <laughs> not just running a pony round on a... So he thing. is fully planning becoming part of the military. He's well, gone, I'm not becoming a monk. Well, this is the thing. Yes, I think he just decided the army was for him. Yeah. Um. So yeah, so then uh, I'm not going to go into Wellington's full career, but just to do a really quick potted history, he uh, purchased his first rank, which was first lieutenant. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, 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 it wasn't. It was ensign. He and purchased his first you rank. You purchase your commission. Ah, I see. So you do that. And it was through a friend of the family. So that's right. how it so always was. Immediately gets higher tier. He's already an officer. He's already oh, 100%. higher up. Well, yeah, he's, yeah. The, he's the son of an earl. Yeah, he has to be. You're in the time of, up, yeah. you know, everything we talk about when we're talking about Bridgerton, um, mm. Hamilton, Les Mis. Like, yes. it's that time period. Yeah, yeah. So right. this, is, this is just the way, you know. Um, so anyway, he uh, chose the army over the navy or the cavalry, mm-hmm. and he is sent out to India. Okay, right. Now this India is one of those places where if you're out there for too long, you tend to die from dysentery. But no, right. in terms of back if you're then, Bri- if back you're Brit- then, if you're British, way back then, I'm not yeah. saying now. God, no, no, I'm. I'm <laughs> I'm not slagging off India here. I'm I'm also saying it's if you're British or European going over that. The Indians are fine. And most of the people in that part of the world, they're fine being in India. But yeah, but exactly. The sort of pasty white guy from Dublin. The people who probably shouldn't be there. 100% shouldn't be there, but but he was. And he uh, won a string of victories out there. And eventually 
when Napoleon was threatening war again, mm. he then came back and then eventually he was sent out with an underpaid, understaffed army to Portugal and kicked the French out of Portugal, then out of Spain, and then across the Pyrenees, then halfway up France, when he eventually, long story short, fought Nap- Napoleon in a next to a very small Belgian village called Waterloo in 1815. And with the help, a lot of help from the Prussians, which gets forgotten about a lot. Beat... No, 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 they're not the empire, you know. You know well, we, quite... we ignore that help. <laughs> so with the help of the Prussians and a whole host of different nations, actually, mm. we they beat Napoleon. And as imagine him coming back post-Waterloo into London. What a hero. Exactly. He was, he was, he became overnight a national hero and celebrity. Mm. Because again, Bridgerton, you can kind of imagine the time period. It's like, oh, gossip here. Oh, this is Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Um, So there were statues erected in his name. He was hosted by princes and made a duke. Mm -hmm. So that's why he's the Duke of Wellington. Right. Oh, I see, because he wasn't going to inherit his family's title. Oh, so he just kind of circumnavigated it. So was there a Duke of Wellington before him, or was just invented for him? It was created for him. That's pretty cool. And a dukedom, in terms of hierarchy, Yeah. the dukedom is the the top. You Second to higher. king. Yeah, Earl is below. Yeah. Viscount. Oh, is Viscount higher than a Duke? I can't remember. But anyway, it's a really high... No, Duke, Duke is the... Duke is the the one dukes become kings if they yeah. fight the right battles like i'm pretty sure that's the literally the next step up i yeah. think you're right yeah, yeah yeah um so he bought apsley house from actually from his brother richard um uh which sits right on high park corner and is now a museum to him hmm. um but it's this gorgeous house oh so um, his brother's house gets made i mean it, it did become his house but like that seems <laughs> yeah. not only did his brother buy it off him the house that he we lived in also becomes a museum to his brother yeah and also to napoleon because he then ended up buying loads of memorabilia about napoleon uh, really? Later in life, yeah, he kind of went a bit crazy about him. About his old enemy. Yeah, exactly. Oh, weird. Because then, when he comes back to London, he then uh, is a- he he gets asked to join the cabinet. Uh, he holds several powerful positions in society, mm. including being appointed the Constable of the Tower of London in 1827. Wow, which presumably is kind of a ceremonial title. He's not actually doing anything in Tower of London. He's like it's like the figurehead. Like, well, yes, it's not quite what it was back in the the War of the Roses time. Yeah. He's not wandering around with like um, like a cludgeon, like hitting people, hitting prisoners, and getting them back in their cells. Like he's just yeah, officially yeah in charge of it. But it is a, quite an interesting ceremonial position to have, mm. um, especially for someone who used to be the commander of the armed forces for the whole country. Mm. And he will d- become that again later in life. But anyway, a year later, after being a constable of the Tower of London, mm-hmm. he then became prime minister. Wow, which is a pretty... I mean, he'll be ha- part of the House of Lords being a duke. So, God, this old... You know, I assume all PMs at that point would have come from the House of Lords. They would have never had a PM from the House of Commons. The air. There's something in the air. Ooh. It's changing. So is it like a... Because sh- obviously the House of Commons, when it started, is kind of just like the younger brother. The House of Lords is still the Lords. That's everyone ruling around. But is it now starting to... We're in a really interesting time of change mm. in the eighteen late 1820s. And in power, as you said, I don't know if you said this on air, but uh, as you said, uh, the Tories are in power. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well, Tories. I kind of... So wait, is, is Wellington a Tory? Yes, Wellington Christ. is a Tory. I knew I didn't like him. <laughs> and are there... So the opponents of the... The Whigs? Whigs. They are the Whigs, yeah. Who yeah. are actually... The Tories are the kind of liberal side, aren't they? Aren't the Whigs more... It fluctuates. Batshit. Oh, I see, It right. depends on when you're talking about. In this really? time period, it kind of matches up in terms of Tories of today are similar mm. to the Tories of 1820s. Oh, I s- uh, Wait. So the Whigs are a bit more lefty. Oh, I see. Oh, I s- oh, okay. So realistically, the Tories actually are probably far more right-wing than the Tories of today are, just because in the past things were more right-wing, kind of. Uh, yeah, sort of. Yeah, yeah. Right, There's authoritarianism so- is still big. That's so weird that they... I mean, I suppose that happened in America, didn't it? Because, like, Democrats were more right-wing for a while, and then it flipped for yeah, many when- reasons. But, yeah, so it's the same thing. Like, the Whigs and Tories are kind of going back and forth. They are. It depends on the on the issue basically but in this way actually it is it is as it is today right in terms of the tories are further right wing the Whigs are further left wing so keep that in mind when we're talking about so he's an eaten bread horse riding warmonger tory 
good. Sort I'm just of. getting, I'm just, you know, figuring out where I'm putting him in my <laughs> head canon of who do I like and who do I don't like. Don't. Gotta admit, there's a lot of things against him. Yeah, interesting. Let's see what you think at the end. Right. So, uh, the big question I think you're probably wondering is why the hell was he fighting a duel in 1829? I mean, he's a Tory, so they're all kind of idiots, aren't they? So, <laughs> I mean, fair enough. Um, the reason Apologies to any Tories who are listening to us, but, you know, we all we have our have views. should have known by now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, first of all, he was fighting a man who was called the Earl of Winchelsea. 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 So, Winchelsea. What is that? Good question. I have no idea. <laughs> it's just like a... It's, it's an earldom. It doesn't really matter where it is. It probably doesn't even exist. It probably just, doesn't anymore. They're inventing all sorts of ones now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, it turns out that both of those men, both the Duke of Wellington and the Earl of Winchelsea, are both Tories. Right, so, so he's not even duelling with the other party, but yeah. A little bit like today where you have Tory infighting, as we've had for the last... When you say today, you don't you, you also don't mean, like, in our modern world. You mean genuinely right now. <laughs> I, I, I genuinely mean in the last... We, literally, we, not today, today, because mm. we don't know what we're talking about. But well, like, I think there's a good... Even if we don't know specifically when this episode is going to come out, we're probably right that there'll be Tory infighting. <laughs> very true, very true. Um, so, yeah, just like today, yeah. the Tories are infighting. Right, okay. Um, and so uh, what's interesting is... Why are they fighting? Let me guess. Are they fighting over like immigration? That's a co- that's a common one they fight about. Is has one of them had some sort of sex scandal that they're all <laughs> deciding whether they should back him or kick him out? You know, has someone lied on a bus? You know, there's a million different ways the reasons the toys could be fighting. That's, I mean, that's a very good way of putting it. What I would tell you is this: this issue that they're fighting over mm-hmm. was the Brexit of their day. Oh, really? In terms of the scale. The entire Brexit, not just the Brexit bus. The entire Brexit, yeah. Yeah, in terms of the scale. Ah, okay. What they have literally divided the entire of Westminster's politics. Really? Yeah. And like not along party lines, like along... Yeah. Because that's also what Brexit did, like kind of split everyone apart. Yeah. This is the same here, because there's two Tories fighting to possibly the death. I mean, they could have shot each other. Oh, my God. I can't believe this is how they were sorting that out. I mean, what if that had happened nowadays during Brexit? If that had been, the, if it had been like Theresa May shooting Boris Johnson to decide imagine? which way Brexit goes. <laughs> I love it. Um, but to, to, to put this in even more context, the Duke of Wellington mm-hmm. was the fourth prime minister in nine months. Right. Well, we all know how that's like. Although fourth in nine months is is pushing what we're used to this now. This is really? crisis. This is fourth in nine months. Yep. And is that all Tory? So it's all Tory. It's voting them out. You know, no confidence vote. Well, I'll explain. Yeah. Uh, Lord Liverpool was in charge at the beginning of that nine month trial, and he retired because he started to have strokes. Because okay. these men are so old. Yeah. That yeah. They hope they're having that. Uh, his successor was a man called Canning. Mm-hmm. And he died in office. Oh wow! Um, of the what a great replacement. <laughs> yeah, our prime died. minister. So our prime minister is having strokes. So we've got this really healthy guy who we're sure is going to last the course. How long did he serve? <laughs> I think four months. Oh Jesus! From the stress. Yeah. From the st- well, I mean, I'm sure it was other things. But yeah, yeah. Sure the stress definitely. Probably didn't also help. the smoking and drinking and eating terrible food. Yeah, yeah. Then came a man called Goderich who was so right-wing, a little bit like Truss, that the king himself sacked him. Wow. Back then, the king sacked him. Mm -hmm. George IV. Wow. How right-wing is right-wing? How right-wing do you have to be to let the monarch sack you? Well, I think it was a bit like Truss, in terms of, you know how Truss came in, had literally, she was in power for 50 days. Yeah. In that time period, she fucked up so much that we got rid of her, Mm. as in even the Tories got rid of her. Mm. Um, in this case, it was the similar thing where Godrich was so volatile that wow. he was affecting the markets, and so then the king went, "Go get, go and get Wellington. Go oh, and get wow, the Duke. Wow, I, I trust Godrich the Duke. is so bad. Yeah. I wonder what vegetable outlasted him? <laughs> Good one. I mean, before refrigeration, not many. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if yeah, if he didn't last longer than a lettuce, then that's really saying something. That really is. So yeah, so he was the he was the fourth one, and all of this Tory turmoil. Wait, that's three, isn't it? Yeah, then him. Oh wait. Oh, I see. Oh right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Christ. So you had Lord Liverpool, 
who then died of his strokes, by the way, about a month after he retired. Well, that's a good... Well, I say it's a good job he left, but then he's... he's replaced. <laughs> Did he die before the next Prime Minister? Uh, no, no, no. I think he died after Canning. So he could have come back in. <laughs> and then, they, Yeah, so then Canning died in office. Then Godrich was so shit that the king kicked him out and then the Duke of Wellington turns up. You know, this really shows... I feel like you realise this when you study history a lot. Like, people complain about, like, the problems we have today... And we obviously have lots of problems today and there's some really, you know, we really do need to fix a lot of them. But when you really see how terrible things were back in the past, it really puts it a little bit in perspective. Like these kind of rose tinted glasses that we have of the past or people going, oh, it was all better back in the day. It really wasn't that far back. It was terrible. And you've got prime ministers dropping dead (laughs) and you've got four prime ministers in as many months. Like that is just madness, right? Yeah, yeah. We're Uh, quite lucky. Quite. Well, ish, ish. Yeah, Small quite. We'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, the subject causing all of this chaos mm-hmm. was Catholic emancipation. <sighs> wow, that's a big topic, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. So what, It's also not an unusual topic for the British Isles. <laughs> well, this is the thing. This is where it all comes to a head. Mm. Because, dear listener, just to give you a little bit of background, yeah. Catholic emancipation was a topic that had been running. You think that Brexit's been running for a while, mm. or even, dare I say, the troubles in Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland, which we're not going to talk about. Yeah. Ever since the end of the civil wars in Britain, mm. up until this point, so this is that we're talking 150 years later, mm. they were still arguing about this topic. I mean, surely the argument started with Henry VIII. I mean, realistically... Why Henry VIII? Well, because you've got... Um, Church of England versus Catholics. That's when the whole thing started happening, really. Oh, I guess so. And then yeah. you have subsequent monarchs who flip flop back and forth between. So the argument kind of starts as soon as there's any hint of Protestantism in the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, Catholic emancipation, the, the whole. Um, so after the civil wars yeah. in Britain ended, um, Catholics in Britain and Ireland were put under very strict control by the state. Yes. So that's when the state clamped down entirely. Oh, I see. So this is when it kind of flips to a full C of E Protestant dominant country and Catholics are now the pariahs of town. Yeah. Actually, right. it's classed as second citizens. Mm. Um, the first, so actually in, in such a way that they did it through acts of parliament. Yeah. I, second class. Yeah, no. Yeah. Second class citizens. I'm just thinking because the slave trade is quite a big thing now, but they're not even second class citizens, unfortunately. Like this is, this yeah. is, yeah, this is second class citizens, still considered citizens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the worst off in the well, world, but yeah. Having said that, you'll hear what happens. So first there were the test acts and secondly, the penal laws. Mm-hmm. And together, they made Catholics, as I say, second-class citizens at best in right. the UK. So what these basically... I'm just going to entail exactly what it would have been like to be a Catholic in this time period. Mm-hmm. So you, ha- there was a ban on practicing Catholicism openly. Wow. So, including religious services. So you have to do it privately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ban on owning land. Really? Catholics were forbidden from owning or inheriting land. Right. Ban on voting and holding public offices. Of course. Catholics were fully barred from participating in the whole political um, uh, landscape. Right. So properly country. like pushed out. Religious tests. Catholics were required to take oaths renouncing elements of their faith in order to hold low-ranking positions. Oh, I see. So it's not every Catholic, but in order to be any way involved in any level of government, or the very lowest of level of government, they basically have to stop being Catholic, yeah. or at least renounce the major problems of Catholicism. 100%. Yeah. And Oof. finally, if a Catholic wished to have a military career, they had to take an oath of loyalty to the Church of England and oh. take communion in a Church of England service. Now, for... Okay, today, perhaps, to, to put this into context... These days, most people aren't as devout as yes. even the most average person was 200 mm. years ago. So to in order to, it's sort of, it would be so uncomprehendingly difficult mm. to renounce this sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, it's not worth it. it. It would be like, it would be putting your soul in jeopardy. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They really think that this is, you know, I was going to say life and death. It's like life and afterlife for them. Like it is more important than anything to them and it is it's also hugely it's cultural suppression and like erasion really isn't it like it's just like 
getting rid of any hint of Catholicism in the open and kind of just kind of make it go away entirely. Like they've all but banned them really from existing and kind of like denying their right as people living in England. Uh, not just England, Scotland, Wales and Ireland, the whole of Ireland. Right. Because the Brits are in complete control of Ireland. And the rest of the British Empire, but I suppose it's not as big of a deal. It's less of a big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is... The Indians aren't that bothered about not being able to practice Catholicism. (laughs) Exactly, they've got their own issues with the Spanish, let's be honest. Um, Anyway, moving on. So clearly, this was eventually going to cause huge discontent in Ireland. Mm -hmm. Um, And there were several full-scale revolts. Most notably, one that you brought up when you told us about the Easter Rising ah. was the 1798 Rebellion. Yes. Which resulted... The OG in, one. Exactly. Mm. It resulted in the deaths of 2,000 British soldiers and as many as 50,000 Irish casualties. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty rough. Run by Wolf Tone. Wolf Tone, if you know that name, go look him up. Very interesting man. Anyway, so that's kind of the context. Okay. Now we're coming into... I gotta admit, I think you underplayed it by comparing it to Brexit. Like it's not quite as, as I mean, Brexit was bad, but is not quite as focused cultural erasion of a huge swath of British people. Yeah, uh, yeah, of course. There's a I, little bit. There's there is a little bit of that in there, but it's not quite. It as, was more the four PMs. Yeah, the four PMs, and also the fact that it's divide. So it's dividing Parliament about presumably because Parliament is all. Protestant and C of E, none of them are Catholics. It's not like a Catholic v. Protestant. It's like how awful we should be to the Catholics is essentially the discussion. Well, no, no, no. I mean, actually, no. It's about giving Catholics back their rights. Oh, so there are there are people who are saying, no, this is awful. Yeah. They're still Christians. They're still British. We should stop being so awful to them. Yeah. Oh, mostly they're Whigs, but not just Whigs. It crosses party lines. Right. Which and is big question... Which way does Wellington fall on that? Well, I'll tell you about that in a second. Okay, so I'm I'm jumping ahead. Jumping ahead. ahead. (laughs) No, no. So the reason reason I'm not doing that is I want to just focus on Ireland for a little longer, and then I'll let you know what happens. So um, the most important person... The sort of that, that lit this tinderbox of Ireland and Catholic emancipation mm-hmm. was a man called Daniel O'Connell. Now, our Irish listeners will 100% know who Daniel O'Connell is. Mm-hmm. But for those of you who don't know, uh, Daniel O'Connell uh, was an Irish political leader. And he's actually got the, uh, the nomenclature, the liberator. Pretty he good is, name. He's known as the he's known as Daniel O'Connell, the Liberator. That's great. Pretty cool. Throughout history, that's always a good one. It is. Uh, O'Connell managed to stand for election for MP of County Clare. Now, I, I, I can't believe I'm referencing Blackadder twice in the same episode, but if you have seen Blackadder, the one where it's the Regency, uh, he tries to become an MP of somewhere, yeah. and it's like. There's like 27 people in there, yeah, and yeah. it's who he can pay off in order to become an MP. So yes. they were called the Rotten Boroughs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, well, isn't the, 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 I think in Blackadder, there's only one um, constituent, and it is Blackadder. Mm. <laughs> there's only one person voting. Yeah, well, yeah. quite exactly. So uh, this is that time period, hundred percent. So this is t- so it's like these these boroughs and these MPs just kind of don't have anything, but they are a member of Parliament. They don't exist, basically. And so wait, but then he is. Protestant. Well, hang on. No, he's not. No, he's not. No. Right. This is the thing. So normally, those rotten boroughs is how the corruption system worked. Mm. So if you were noble and wanted a, a place in power, you'd be given one of these boroughs, which didn't really exist yeah. except on paper, and then you'd be in the House of Commons or the House of Lords, and that's how you did it. Yeah. What Daniel O'Connell did was break that system by being democratically re- elected as MP for County Clare. Oh wow! So this kind of borough was. Maybe not invented, but was used as just a way of putting whatever MP they wanted from their party in there. And he went, well, I'll just go there and get elected by the actual people there. Yeah. Wow. And so he was in one of the first proper hustings against another person running for it. And the guy who was meant to get it didn't get it. And Daniel O'Connell got it. Presumably the other person was just like, I didn't even think I had to be there. Like, he probably never visited the place, didn't know anything about it. Just assumed his cronies in government would give it to him. Yeah. And then went, oh, wait, I actually have to win an election. And then he didn't win. Wow. And this was bad because uh, Daniel O'Connell was definitely a Catholic. And so... So wait, so then then he didn't have to swear allegiance to the C of E and, and renounce certain aspects of his faith? Well, whether he did or not is beside the point because he was not allowed to take his seat in Parliament. 
Because he's Catholic. Because he's Catholic and Irish. Even though he was an MP. Mm-hmm. So wow. because he was A, Irish and B, Catholic. And he not only did it uh, in 1828, he then did it the following year again in 1829. I mean, you got to think they've got a bit of a broken system if this is... I mean, you know, it's awful they're not letting him. But then if they're not letting him sit in Parliament... Why is he allowed to run? Like, why do they allow that? Like, why do they, they allow him to run? I guess they don't think he's going to win. No, exactly. And they want to pretend they are a democracy. Yeah. So they go, yeah, we'll let him run. And he'll obviously lose. And he wins. They go, okay, well, he's won, but we can't give him a... <laughs> it's just, it's it's an awful thing for them to do. But it also seems really dumb that they can't stop him. But it's the very first time that an Irish Catholic has right. been able to show, like, a, two fingers up at the government of the Brits that he can win an election in a real election. What a guy. Um, and, and the thing is, O'Connell's popularity was such a turning point that it bled into British society. And local Brits, ah. the, the common Brit, mm. uh, public opinion swayed towards giving Catholics their rights back. Really? Because of him? and because yeah. of like, And I guess he's done it in a good way. He's done it in a way that they're all taught to, like, we live in a democracy, you're supposed to like this. And against these, like, you know kind of corrupt politicians these tories who are like using rotten bars to just get their mates in yeah that's and interesting wigs. and okay and wigs yeah, yeah, yeah but yes absolutely i care less about railing on the wigs they don't exist anymore so. I, uh, yeah I guess <laughs> but so. that's that makes a lot of sense actually that it's all public opinion and actually the it, it's what comes down into loads of democracies it's not really about whose point is right it's about who tells it better who tells a better story and actually convincing people was far more about what they feel and in this case they felt this guy was doing a great job mm. and even though they might have differences of opinion over his faith because presumably a lot of the british people who were supporting were, were protestants 100%. or cv but when you're not a corrupt guy and actually maybe catholics aren't that bad and you're changing my mind with them and what a guy that's the thing and it's been so long since the civil wars mm. that it's beyond living memory so it's like, uh, yeah, yeah, what yeah. did the Catholics do to us? Come on, they're also citizens. And also so many Irishmen fought in the battles against Napoleon. Ah. So, you know, they, they, they became part of the British system in the in the zeitgeist. Because... And those, all those soldiers who would have fought alongside the Irish. And, you know, there's one thing that the, you know, the English and Irish can get on board with is hating the French. Yeah. So, like, it all works out. So they Common probably enemy. come home and go, actually... As sad as it is, that kind of happens in wars that you start to, you know, bond, you know, brotherhood, that all that kind of thing. So they probably go, actually, these guys are fine. They can be, you know, you, you're Catholic, I'm CV, I don't, or Protestant, I don't really care. Yeah. And then when they come back, they see a bunch of tough Tories who, other than Wellington, who may not have even fought and probably are just making money back in. Well, this is what's interesting, right? So Wellington, yes, hardliner, in terms of keeping the status quo going that's right. why he's been selected to be pm by the king he's been called in by the king to save the parliament really also oh, it's, for, for, it's for his politics not just because he's this great war hero well also because of his standing with the public but yeah yeah, he is like it's you know integrity they, we like you know, oh i suppose that's the thing you know it's you're to, trying to stabilize the ship you know stabilize the markets because that's the thing you're trying to keep both an economy running and on an international scale, and yeah. also the internal politics. So he was brought in as like an emergency, as yeah, it was. Yeah. So he saw the way the wind was blowing. Mm. Also, he was from Dublin, whether he was Anglo-Irish or not. Ah, yeah. And he did begin to to soften. The Iron Duke softened. So and... he was he was quite hardline about the Catholic Protestant, like the nature of them dealing with uh, Catholics before. But then, as he became PM. He remembered his roots and he, you know, maybe well, got love of the people as opposed to love of the Tories. Well, during his time as a general, mm. he had he was very fond of his Irish uh, regiments. Yeah. So he he already had affinity with mm. the Irish and he was an Irishman himself. Oh, I see. So actually, so he probably started with pretty good, what yeah, you consider nicer politics. Yeah, he was the party line, which yeah. was pro Fuck off, Catholics. But then when he became PM, and he's the hero that rides in yeah. on behalf of the king. I mean, at that point, if you've been asked, like, two PMs, one of them, or if both of them are now dead, or and a third one is in disgrace, and then the king asks you, you could kind of do whatever you want. Like, there's, yeah. you don't need to toe the party line. You are the party. Whatever you say, the party better get behind you, otherwise they'll get sent to the wind. Yeah, exactly. So he then starts to make interesting sounds mm -hmm. towards allowing those laws the penal laws to be lifted yeah and the test acts right but there's always a right wing of the party 
right? Mm-hmm. Especially in in the Tories yeah. and also the Conservatives, because they are different, but they're they're ba- they, the Tories became the Conservative Party, yeah, yeah, yeah. almost entirely. But anyway, um, and that that side of the party that was hardline anti-Catholic, mm-hmm. the guy who was heading that spearhead mm-hmm. was Lord Winchelsea. Right, so they're like the the ERG of, of, of back then, essentially. Yeah, yeah. The European Research Group. Yeah, yeah, for yeah, those yeah. Who yeah. Don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so suddenly, uh, Lord Winchelsea is furious. Mm. So, if you know your Hamilton, Patrick, what happens? How do you disgrace someone who is in power, except for dueling them? We go to the papers. Aha. Mm. Yes, you do. Just as he did with John Adams. In, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen yeah, Hamilton. Yeah. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm reminding the listener. <laughs> that not really, Yeah, I know you know. Um, so Lord Winchelsea publishes it's so it's so it's so quintessentially of the time. It's it's so, sounding really modern, this whole thing, doesn't it? It does, yeah, yeah. So Lord Winchelsea sent a letter to uh, a man who was running King's College mm-hmm. at the King's College, which actually Wellington had set up or helped to set up the oh. King's London, University of London Kings, yeah. was set up partly by the Duke of Wellington. Really? And in that letter, he basically slags off Wellington and says he's a, a coward, a cad. I actually have the letter here, and I'm actually going to read from it. But before oh, I do, fantastic. I'm just going to say, so he wrote that and then sent it to a newspaper to print. Oh, I see. So he sent he sent a letter to King's College to complain about Wellington to a to a confidant, just so a confidant, like like a, a closed private letter. private letter, and then went. Well, this is such a good private letter. I, you know, the people should know about this. So then sent it to a newspaper. Do you know yeah. which newspaper? Newspaper. Uh, it was it was published in all newspapers. Oh, so because okay. as soon as one got it, it was passed around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just yeah. went from there. So in this letter, just before I read it, because it is quite, it's obviously old English, fairly old English. So I'm just going to give you a little bit of a, a, a framework right. here. Um, Lord Winchelsea accuses the Duke of being a supporter of Catholicism, which is a quite an insult, even to someone who is pro-emancipation. Oh, I see. So he's still supporter of Catholicism is a bit far. Like, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's almost like next to calling them just Catholic. Yeah. But the most important thing is he said that he was trying to tear up the Constitution. Oh. Now, these Wait. days, the Constitution is less important. Yeah. Because the US is known for loving their Constitution. But it was sacrosanct back then. It was so important that you were... Because basically what he's saying is he doesn't have the moral fibre to... He feels like he's bending with the wind. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So here is Winchelsea's letter. I found it in oh, one of the exciting. archives. It's lovely when I can use what I do for a living and then bring it into the Yeah, 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 yeah. It was great. Okay, so here we go. Late political events have convinced me that the whole transaction, i.e. the founding of the King's College, was intended as a blind to the Protestant and High Church party. That the noble duke who had for some time previous to that period determined upon breaking in upon the constitution of 1688 might the more effectually under the cloak of mere outward show of zeal for the Protestant religion, carry on in his insidious designs for the infringements of our liberties and the introduction of popery into every department of the state. Christ. Took him a while to get going, but he got there. He, yeah, I mean, it builds and builds. And I gotta admit, I understood maybe about 70% of that, but what I, yeah, you know, or maybe even less than that, <laughs> but you can feel the like zeal in it. Like he's really annoyed, and there's, oh. That's really good. What is it? Under the cloak of zeal. Under the cloak of mere outward show of zeal. Ooh. For the Protestant religion. That sassy bitch. I know. <laughs> Carry on his insidious designs mm. for the infringements of our liberties. It's a good it's a good letter. I gotta admit, he's yeah. he's written it well. And that's really funny that he's written it to someone and then it's just shown to everyone else. Yeah. It's like revealing a text message thread. It's like, no, he didn't. Yeah, In fact, yeah. this this uh, where I found this uh this letter. They have the backwards and forwards between the two. So mm. once the Duke of Wellington reads this in the newspaper, 
He then sends oh. a, re- a rebuttal in the same newspaper. Wait, so does he send it to a newspaper or does he send it to King's College and shares it with the newspaper? Or he just goes direct? No, he goes direct. Good for him, I like that. I, but then it's like a Twitter thread because it goes backwards <laughs> and forwards. Literally, it's like seven different messages. Really? And it's all printed in this one long bit and I read it all and it's literally like oh no he didn't yeah. oh yeah he did and then it's like well if you don't take it back I'm going to have to shoot you yeah <laughs> well so it's just building and building it, so it is just like Hamilton actually and just like today yeah. without the shooting well, in terms of like sadly. it's all happening in printed media yeah so they're not and also they're not really having an argument because neither one is like even if the one of them realized I was wrong about something that it they're not arguing for behalf of the other like to convince the other person they're arguing as a publicity stunt to the rest of the country yeah which is just like what happens nowadays when people go on yeah or like a um a debate Hmm. they're not debating they are showing off they are just trying to push their idea but the only difference between then and now is that back then your honor and your, I'm putting in air quotes, integrity mm. um, was most important. If you lost your uh, reputation, you were ruined. Mm. So it's a little bit like in Hamilton, you know, when uh, he sleeps with, uh, what's her name? Reynolds? Miss Mariah Reynolds. Yes, when that happens. And then Ch- Thomas Jefferson goes, he'll never be president now. Yeah, it's yeah, because yeah, yeah. of his reputation. He ruins his reputation. Yeah, yeah, yeah And yeah, then yeah. that's it. doesn't matter how good you are. So in this case, although there's nothing like that going on, it's actually a far more serious claim which is that he is anti the state religion it's kind of treason it's he's not because it sounds like he's not saying the word treason yeah because that's a tall order for the hero of the napoleonic wars but he's kind of saying it's a bit treasonous and kind of going against everything i mean it's interesting also to take such a stance against a guy who has been appointed kind of by the king by the head of the church of england to then twist it to say actually he's anti C of E or is you know favoring another religion it's a lot it's a lot going on so but the difference is of course is that Lord Winchelsea is just in the party mm. whereas the Duke of Wellington is PM and the thing that has prompted this letter is the PM is about to repeal the penal laws right so it's a it's a big moment and I assume Winchelsea also probably has other members of the party on his side you know oh, it, he's it, the he, head of a faction yeah yeah he this is it this is a this is the start of the split this is or maybe not even the start but this is like it coming to the biggest moment like him properly I am calling this guy out I'm calling my prime minister out yeah and splitting apart but of course if you do that you need to be ready for the consequences but what's very interesting is Lord Winchelsea does what he does mm-hmm. probably expecting some sort of retaliation yeah. Hopefully slandering him enough that he gets disgraced and thrown out. Probably thinking that he would then replace him as PM. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he probably never even conceived of the idea that he would face the Duke of Wellington, Prime Minister of Great Britain, in a duel on Battersea Fields on a March morning. Shall I tell you why? Because it's batshit crazy to just decide to duel the Prime Minister. And also, presumably, it's never happened before. No, it has happened before. Really? But the Duke has a reputation for hating jewels. During his campaigns against Napoleon and Napoleon's marshals, Mm -hmm. he outlawed, literally by um, penalty of hanging, Mm. all of his British officers from dueling. Because what kept happening... But he's stupid, really. Yeah, all these incredible officers are being (laughs) shot. And the thing is, even if you're wounded, you would die from the the infection. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't really matter. It's not like a... Yeah, so he was like, you can't do this. We have too small an army anyway. Mm. I need my, my officers. So he we, hated we, jewels. We do, we do this too much, but that also happens in Hamilton because Hamilton and Bird both talk about how they think jewels are uh, like stupid and immature, and they go, "Yeah, yeah, it's definitely," and it ends with them shooting each other. So you know, I guess it's the, it, the, the it's such a like the honor and integrity, and it's such a big part of their culture. Even if you intellectually, you logically think it's a stupid idea when it's your on like it's easy to ban others from dueling well, when it's on you and your 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 name has been besmirched but you know what's interesting the duke all the way up until before he became a general mm-hmm. he didn't fight an even in one duel mm. in in his career as a on, as an officer yeah so he never participated the first and only duel he ever fought was at way past his career ending and and what's also interesting is he was so effective at banning the practice in his armies that there were only four 
fatal duels in, in his entire campaigns against Napoleonic France. Wow. I mean, there would have been a lot of unrecorded non-fatal duels because they would have been reported. Yeah. But still, only four officers died in, Napo- in, sorry, in Wellington's armies because he banned the practice. Wow. Which is really quite something. So Winchelsea never probably... When Winchelsea then realised, ah... Was Winchelsea military man? No, he wasn't. He was, <laughs> but he was about twenty years younger. I mean, but it's a duel. Like it's Against not a. It's the not Duke of Wellington. Yeah, it's not an arm wrestle. Like it's you know you got to pull a gun. You have to you know, presumably you know one of them has shot many guns and killed many men, not in duels but in you know. War. Well, has at least smelt battle and understood the horrors of war. Yeah. So metal. Grit in his stomach, sort of thing. Mm. So when they face up against each other in Battersea Fields, which, mm-hmm. by the way, in those days was known for carrots, it wasn't uh, carrots and lavender. Was oh, what they lovely. grew in Battersea. I was wondering why you mentioned there was lavender on the end. I thought it was just like a nice little, little touch you had, but there would have been lavender on the end. One hundred percent. It was like a patchwork quilt of uh, market gardens. And so. No one tried to stop Wellington. Like, his cabinet didn't go, what are you talking about? You can't shoot. What if he kills you? What if you both shoot you? What if he just lightly touches you and you die? We've had too many. That'll be four. That'll be three out of the last four prime ministers who've died. You do wonder, especially as they're both from the same political party, that you're like, excuse me, you're the two most important people in the party. Yeah, they could both die. Yeah, which almost would have happened. Yeah. However... And then the Whigs are like, well, this is easy <laughs> yeah exactly so just to get back to the jewel briefly um the earl of winchelsea mm-hmm. i think realized his mistake yeah when he when when waterloo, waterloo when wellington accepted yeah yeah and and called him out in public so this is all happening in the public eye uh, although the jewel wasn't the yeah. jewel was done privately it wasn't uh, i mean that would be a bit much if it was done publicly yeah. it was it was done like outside parliament with a crowd yeah exactly that would have been cooler it i think that would have been. been better yeah yeah, yeah. um and they chose pistols imagine if they chosen swords i guess if they chosen swords winchester probably would have won cuz he's younger yeah but anyway so just quickly uh as i as i said wellington turned first and mm. shot and he definitely well according to the reports that i've read shot with the kill. aim, not necessarily to kill, but certainly but to, to hit, hit, which is kind of to kill back then. <laughs> yeah. Whereas that second shot that mm. rang out fired in the air, fired in the sky, just like Hamilton. Wow. Because Winchelsea had basically accepted the fact he wasn't going to be able to hit him. Well, no. Yeah, exactly. Imagine, right? Uh, the Duke of Wellington, the most famous and popular man in the country. If he kills him, what's like? He's not going to get what he wants. No. Like it will be worse for yeah, him. Absolutely. Yeah. So he shoots his his shot in the air, mm-hmm. and then they and they have their curt nod, and that's it. Probably and- the be- best solution, be- best like result for Winchelsea. Yeah. Because death or killing Wellington, neither of those are very good alternatives. But no one dying. He and also it's I mean I guess it's not to show on, but him raising his pistol in the air, it's a bit more of a, you know, we're not we're not idiots here. But then Wellington just fucking tries to shoot him. You know what though? I do yeah, exactly. And and obviously all of that on that level I totally see. But Mm. what I find really interesting is who'd have thought that a man who uh, was born into the Protestant Anglo Irish nobility taught that the Irish were probably the Catholic Irish were worth nothing yeah was the man who would put his life on the line to defend an act that he was trying to get through parliament to Mm. give back catholics rights that had been taken away 150 years ago yeah but then you know he may have been backed into a corner like he's got this legend he's got this heroic stature you know he is the duke of wellington he can't back down from a duel from some slimy little politician who's never been fast like i he might have done it through out of you know love for the Irish people and for you know caring about Catholics, but more I feel more likely he cared about his image, and his image would have probably been fairly ruined if he'd back you know he tried to back down, even though he's had this like um, opinion of being against dueling. I feel like it's more public image. You know, it's such a you know the fact that they were fighting in the newspapers means you know it would in the biggest story of the day. He has to win this. And, you know, everyone has to look big and tough and strong. 
and you know especially in this time in this time period with newspapers and everyone with fucking napoleon you know being the big man of europe i mean no longer but like it's a time when people are trying to show off i think that he probably cared more about his own image than yes but catholics if you took lord winchelsea's issues aside mm-hmm Wellington was already trying to get this act through Parliament. Yeah, he's still a nice guy. Well, well, yeah, he's still he's still my he's doing something that, nice. My point is that a cheetah, uh, whatever, a leopard can change its stripes. Sorry, a zep. What was the thing? Uh, a zep, a tiger, a zep. Anything with stripes. A leopard can change its spots. Change its spots. Whatever. Yeah. Um, my point. A is... A leopard can change its spots to stripes. That's what it is. Yeah. I'm just going to ignore that. Because, um, <laughs> But, but the point is that uh, a man who was called the Iron Duke for a reason, a man who wouldn't be moved, actually did move yeah. on a topic which uh, actually had an impact on millions of British subjects. So it's quite interesting, I think, that a man who you would never have guessed to A, actually duel anyone because he was so anti it, and B, support Catholic emancipation. He's sounding quite changeable, it's to quite, be honest. It's just interesting. I'm not saying he's perfect. Absolutely not. But it's interesting that he could change enough because he saw the way that public opinion was going. Well, that's the... I mean, it's a, it's stupid, the fact that politicians think that they have to keep to their guns... Yeah. Even if they then realise it's a bad idea. Like, it's not a, it's not a good trait to belligerently stick to your opinion even if you're being proven wrong so it's a good thing he changed his mind oh 100 percent. but it's unfortunately in democracy it's a harder line to push right so here are the consequences so mm-hmm. post duel the act passes in parliament see like if he'd backed down might not have passed oh 100 yeah. percent. i agree so i and this is not sort of like hooray all catholics are free now it's not that but it's the most significant step forward mm. in catholic rights and it's seen as the the death knell of catholic subordination right and so um as i say it wasn't perfect by any means the act removed almost all impediments for catholics to hold office mm-hmm. and also have human rights <laughs> uh they also but the thing is the order you put those in is a bit weird but yeah <laughs> but there was a sting in the tail okay right. they also increased the minimum property qualification from a rental value of £2 per year to £10 per year. So they increased... So in order to vote, you had to own property or rent property. Oh, I see. And now it had to be a more property. Far more. Right. Uh, two, two to ten, so five times more. So obviously that ruled out tons of Catholics who couldn't inherit land, remember? Mm. So suddenly it doesn't do that much, but it, it, it basically unlocks the law, mm. stops getting involved. And now got- it's a question of, uh, are you able to reach a certain amount of money Yeah. in order for then you can join? So yeah, they, 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 they've stopped there being a blocker. Now it is just a steep hill. Exactly. And so who really benefited from the emancipation? The Irish Catholic middle classes. Right. So these guys uh, were now, for the first time almost ever, were able to follow career paths up to the highest levels in the civil service mm. and also the judiciary. And everything that sort of the, the trickle down of that is that Catholic merchants would then also be able to own yeah. land because they can now inherit land again. Yeah. So it's the very beginning of Catholics being brought into the British system, which they didn't want to be in the first place, of course, yeah, the of Irish course. Catholics. Yeah. But it was the very first actual movement. And it, the, the reason why I brought Daniel O'Connell up in it is it was O'Connell who started all this. Yes. And he he was the 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 catalyst that led to the British public opinion swaying towards Catholic emancipation, which then pushed the PM over. Mm. And it was just this hardline right wing prick who was like, fuck you, stay in your box, Irish yeah, Catholics. Yeah. And then we and then are failed. where we are. And then failed because of a duel. Wow. Wow. And, and that is our tale for today's episode. That is an amazing tale. Yeah. And I'm, yeah, I'm less annoyed about the PM dueling than I was at the beginning because it's, because he actually was super successful. I mean, it's a bit weird that he went, he shot to kill. And like, yeah. what if he had shot to kill? Like, I, I, realistically, he he probably did well not to kill him because just being willing to take a bullet is a statement enough. Actually killing the dude would probably make all of his like, that half of his party even more entrenched in their position and it would probably have gone on further. It ending in a stalemate, but having the PM 
willing to put his life on the line kind of took probably took all the wind out of the sails of those Tories. Uh, yeah, just yeah. to put a slight burst in your bubble, in my opinion, because mm-hmm. I'm a cynic, a battle-hardened man like the Duke of Wellington, who isn't that old at this point, missing his target? I think not. I think he missed... On purpose. At the precisely the right amount. In terms of, it wasn't a wild shot. Yeah. He misses. He doesn't hit the guy, but he does fire at him, which gets reported... Right, and so he he his honor is intact because he fires. Straight. He tries, yeah. And then Winchelsea's shot in the air means that it's not just a stalemate; it's actually ah, uh, he does kind of win. He does win oh. because it also he gets his way. Lord Winchelsea fails. I don't know. I think they were overestimating the accuracy of pistols back then. They were pretty all over the place. But you're right. He, you know, the fact that he did miss. It's hard to say. It is. It's, we'll never know. Yeah, you know, we'll never know. We and and then know. and then also, it's really interesting to f- try and guess at what he was thinking. You know, did he want to win the duel because it made him look good, or do you want to win the duel because it made him allow him to push his, the legislation he wanted to put through? We don't know. No, it was a mixture, probably. But oh, it's always a mixture. Always a mixture. The answer is always it's a bit of a lot of different things. But it's interesting to know what what he really cared about because there will be something that drove the like either. I really want to push this like new law through and it's good that it keeps my image intact or I really want to protect my image and it's good that it also helps my law. Like, which way is it? I'm feeling it's more of his image because yeah, he's a politician. Possibly, possibly yeah. Interesting. I mean, you know, when you have this grand uh, legend, you want to protect it. You do, you do. Anyway, listener, I hope you enjoyed listening to that one. Thank you so much. That was a stunningly good episode. That was really, oh God, there's so much. There's a lot about British history I don't know. Yeah, I now know a little bit more of it. Well, there you go, exactly. So thank you so much for listening, guys. Uh, as always, check us out on our Instagram and tune in for another episode in a month's time. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Cheers.